You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Last Sunday morning, I preached from this same passage, and I told you I was going to preach about a character in the Christmas story that I've never preached about in the Christmas season before. Uh, Of course, I love the messages about Mary and Joseph. I love the messages about uh, the the shepherds and the wise men, and I've preached some messages too, and just uh, the lessons we can learn from those people. But last Sunday morning, I preached the entire message on a man who is mentioned in the Christmas story, the genealogy, Matthew chapter 1, but it was a message about Abraham. And uh, God used that message to help me so much to think that Abraham was not a king. He was not a priest. He was not a prophet. He was not a great ruler. He was not a great soldier. But he was a father that God used. And I want to tell you folks today, God uses people that are just fathers, mothers, husbands, wives, Uh, God uses people that are Sunday school teachers. God uses people that are nursery workers. God uses people that'll just be a witness, people that'll pray, people that'll do what's right. God uses people like us because when he uses ordinary people, then there is no, there's no question about who gets the glory when it's all said and done. We know that God gets the glory and God got the glory uh, from Abraham's life. He was the friend of God and what a, what a great challenge that was for me. Tonight, I want to show you from the Christmas story another Bible character that I've never preached about around Christmas time, but nonetheless, he is a very important part. If we go back to Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 1, the Bible says, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ. This is how Jesus came on the scene, uh, humanly speaking. This was his lineage, this was his line. Uh, these were his descendants. And it says, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. We get down to verse number six. And Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah. Then we get to verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. And then we get down to verse number 20. And the Bible refers to Joseph as the son of David. What's interesting is that is the same name that is used to refer to Jesus throughout the Gospels. There are many instances where they will say, uh, Jesus, thou son of David, because Jesus was a descendant of of King David. This genealogy is also found in Luke chapter 3. I won't get into it tonight, but it's very interesting. Matthew's genealogy is the line of all the way to Joseph, who was the earthly father figure. Uh, but in the book of Luke, it's the genealogy of Mary. So both Mary and Joseph could be traced all the way back to David. And uh, that's an interesting study. But tonight, for a few minutes, I'd like to give you some thoughts about David in the Christmas story. Here we have a man who was a king. Here we have a man who was a shepherd. Here we have a man who was a warrior. Here we have a man who was a ruler. But we also have a man who had some failures. 
And you know, I, I really, I thought about this and I prayed about this as it uh, related to the parent-baby dedication. Because the truth is, every one of us in this room who are parents, every one of us could say, we have had some failures. We have had some things that we look back and say, why did I do that? Or why didn't I do so and su such and such? Or why didn't I think of this? Or, or if I would have known, I wouldn't have done that. But I got good news for you tonight. Did you know that God not only uses people like Abraham, but God also uses people like David. And here we have David who is mentioned in the scriptures. He is mentioned over a thousand times. From the book of Ruth, where he is first mentioned, all the way to Revelation 22, David is mentioned, and God used David. How did God use David? I'll give you a couple thoughts. Number one, I see throughout the word of God that God used David because of his heart for God. You know, we may have a lot of failures. We may have a lot of shortcomings. We may have a lot of regrets. We may have a lot of things that we wish had been different. But you know why God kept using David? Because David had a passion for God. And I want to say to the, the Snyders, and I want to say uh, to the Morrises, and I want to say uh, to the Colburnats, and I want to say uh, to the Russes, and I want to say uh, to the Sewells, and I want to say to the Dixons, and I want to say to everybody here, you know what God's looking for? God's looking for some people that will have a heart after him that will have a heart that beats for God, to have a passion for the things of God. David wrote in Psalm 42, and he said, As the deer panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Even after David's sin with Bathsheba, David penned the words of Psalm 51, and David said there's something wrong because there is sin that is separated between me and God. And David said, I can't live this way. I can't go on this way. I've got to have God do a transformation in my life. I've got to have God do a cleansing in my heart so that my fellowship can be restored. Parents, I'll tell you this. Grandparents, I'll tell you this. Teenagers, young people, I'll tell you this. When you lose your heart for God, you're in trouble. But as long as you keep that heart and that love and that passion for God, I want to tell you there is no limit to what God can do in you and through you. Acts 13, verse 22, the Bible says about David that God removed Saul and he raised up David to be their king. To whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. You say, Pastor, how do you get a heart for God? How do we get a heart for God? Well, I'll tell you one way. There must be a love for the word of God. You're not going to know God, and I'm not going to know God apart from his word. This book is what opens uh, our eyes to see who God is and what, what makes God happy, to see what God desires, to see what God asks of us. And David, in Psalm 119, he said over and over and over again, he said, oh, how I love your law. I preached through the Psalms a few years ago, and I told our, our folks many times, I said, I can't believe how much David loved the Bible especially considering that most of what David had was Genesis to Deuteronomy. That's what David had, but yet David said, I love it. He said, I've got to have it. He said, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The commandments of the Lord are pure and righteous altogether. And David couldn't stop talking about how much he loved the Bible. 
I'm afraid that we live in a generation where we have so many distractions from the Bible. We've got so many other things we have to do, and we've got computers and cell phones and tablets, and we've got email, and we've got uh, websites, and we've got uh, uh, social media, and we've got all these things we have to do that if we're not careful, we will neglect the most important part. And this is not just a message to the Snyders and the Morrises, but this is a message to all of us. We need to fall in love again with the Word of God. Secondly, I see that David, his heart for God, not only was a love for God's word, but he had a desire to do the will of God. Acts 13, it was said of David that he would fulfill all of God's will. It says in Acts 13 that David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God. Psalm 25, David prayed and said, Lord, show me thy ways and teach me thy paths. He prayed in Psalm 143, he said, Lord, teach me to do thy will. I want to tell you tonight, we all have a will. We all have an agenda, right? We all have plans. We all have goals. And I'm not against those things. But let's make sure that our will lines up with with God's will. I like what Jesus said, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. David had a heart for God because of his love for the word of God, because of his passion to do the will of God. But thirdly, because of his worship of God. All throughout the Psalms, I love reading the Psalms, but all throughout the Psalms, David says, oh, come, let us worship the Lord. Let us praise the Lord. Let us bless the name of the Lord. David talks about worship, and he describes it as falling down, uh, bending down, kneeling down in humility before God. Worship is often described as something that takes place at the church. I understand we can worship God at home, And I hope you do worship God at home. But I'll tell you, God loves it when his people worship in the temple. God loves it when his people come to worship him in his house. Worship is almost always associated with sacrifice. The first mention of the word worship in the Bible, it's found when Abraham and Isaac went to the top of Mount Moriah to offer a sacrifice. And Abraham said, let us go and worship the Lord. Now, a lot of us, we like to worship as long as it doesn't cost us anything, right? As long as we don't have to give up too much, as long as it doesn't uh, 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 get into, you know, what we need to do and what we want to do. But true worship of God, uh, showing that God is worthy, it means that we're willing to sacrifice. Worship is often mentioned with the word holiness. We are to worship in the beauty of of his holiness we are to worship in his holy temple worship requires us coming before God and saying God I want to be right with you God I want to be clean God I want there to be nothing between my soul and my savior worship is often mentioned in reference to praising God singing thanksgiving if you and I if we're going to be serious about worship we're going to have to do it God's way And David had a desire to worship God. But then I see David's heart for God. Not only was it a love for God's word and a desire to do the will of God and a desire to worship God, but he had a dedication to the work of God. David says in Psalm 2 that we are to serve the Lord with fear. That means with reverence. Psalm 100, the Bible says we're to serve the Lord with gladness. 1 Samuel 12, of course, uh, Samuel had an instrumental part in David's life, but Samuel said to the children of Israel, we should serve the Lord in truth with all of our heart. You know what this generation needs? This generation needs some Christians that will put their heart 
back into serving God. That we'd put our heart back into the things of God. That we would give God 100%. I'm amazed. I'm amazed when I watch sports. And if you're, if you're visiting, you may not know this, but if you're from our church, you know I love sports. I love talking about sports and probably too much sometimes. But I get convicted when I read about these athletes and all that they will do to prepare for one game. For all that they will do to prepare for one championship or for, or for one particular match and everything they will do for that. And I want to say how much more should we as God's people do for the Lord in serving him with all of our heart. First Samuel 7 says we are to serve the Lord only. We're not supposed to be serving anybody or anything else except for him. He's the only one that is worthy. I see David was used mightily by God in spite of failure. Number one, he had a heart for God. But secondly, I see he put an importance on the house of God. Brother David uh, Russ spoke, um, I guess it was probably two weeks ago now, in Sunday school. And he went through an entire lesson. It was an amazing lesson. He talked about all that King David did to prepare for the building of the temple. And David didn't even get to build it. Now think about this. David had all the materials in place. He had everything set. He had everything lined up. All of the treasures, all of the money that was spent, everything that he did, and he was not going to get the credit for it. As a matter of fact, it's often referred to as Solomon's temple, right? But David didn't care who got the credit. David said, I have got to build a house for God. And friend, I want to tell you, God is still building his house. And I'm not talking about the walls of this building. I'm not talking about uh, the, the, the physical building here. I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about Jesus said he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. I want to be a part of that work. I want to put a priority on the house of God. I won't have you turn there. I probably should. But First Chronicles 28 uh, he talks about all that his charge to his son. And he said, Solomon, here's what I want you to do. And here's how I want you to build it. The Bible says in Second Chronicles 3, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared unto David his father, in the place that David had prepared in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. You know, we all should put a priority on the house of God but I'll say this, we all also ought to put a priority on the next generation being in the house of God. We ought to put a priority on Sunday school. We ought to put a priority on teaching the Bible in the home and family devotions and prayer time and Bible reading. All of that is so necessary. And David had a heart for God. But secondly, he saw the importance of the house of God for his life, for his family, and for his people. And lastly, I'll give you this thought. David was used mightily by God because of the heritage he left for God's people. I use the word heritage. I'm using this word heritage more like we would use it today uh, as in leaving a legacy. You know, I'm thankful for things that have been passed down to me. I'm thankful for things that have been passed down to us here in this church. Uh, we're, we're in this church tonight. We're worshiping God, we're serving God, but let me tell you, there's been a whole lot of people that have gone before us and have paid the price so we could enjoy this tonight. There's been a whole lot of people that put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into Victory Baptist Church so that we could enjoy the blessings of tonight. And I thank God for that heritage that's been passed down. 
It says in Acts 13 that David, he served his own generation by the will of God. He made an impact in his generation that continued for generations to come. There was a Davidic covenant that God had made. He promised David that there would be a king that would sit on the throne from his line, from his house. And of course, Jesus Christ someday will sit on the throne in Jerusalem. Jesus Christ will fulfill that prophecy. Jesus came from the line of David. Jesus is referred to as the root and the offspring of David. Isn't that interesting? How can you be the root and the offspring? How can you be the the son of David, but how can you also be the creator of David? Well, that's because Jesus is God. But Jesus was born in the city of David, Bethlehem. Jesus will sit on the throne of David, Luke chapter 1 tells us. And David was a man that was used mightily by God. In 1962, there was a man that was born. His name was Rick. Rick was born in 1962, and the umbilical cord had been wrapped around his neck, cutting off the oxygen to his brain. Later, Rick was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. When Rick was eight months old, the doctors said that he would be a vegetable for the rest of his life. They told his parents, there's nothing we can do. They advised his parents, they said, you probably just need to put him somewhere where you don't have to deal with it and you don't have to worry. But Rick's parents refused to do that. Rick was a quadriplegic who could not speak. But something happened when Rick was 15 years old. He heard about a 5K race that was taking place to help raise funds for an injured athlete in their community. Rick told his dad, and when he's 15, he's a quadriplegic. He really can't speak. He could communicate through a computer device. But he told his dad that he wanted to participate in the 5K race. It's interesting. His dad, he said, I was in my late 30s and I was out of shape. He said, I didn't think that I could run a 5K race. But in order to encourage his son, Rick's father agreed to run and to push his son in a modified wheelchair. They not only entered that race, but they finished that race. And when they crossed that finish line, Rick's dad, he said, I have never seen a bigger smile on my son's face than when we crossed that finish line at the end of that 5K race. Something happened that day. His father said, our lives were changed forever. And as you may have guessed by now, Team Hoyt had officially begun. They not only ran that 5K race, but in 1981, they ran the Boston Marathon for the first time. They ran that race, the father pushing his son in a modified wheelchair. They ran the Boston Marathon uh, 20 years in a row. Eventually, Rick wanted to do more than just run a Boston Marathon, and so they entered an Ironman race in Hawaii. In 1989, they competed in the Ironman race, which involves 2.4 miles of swimming, 112 miles of biking, and 26.2 miles of running. And they finished it in 13 hours and 43 minutes, which is actually a good time if you were just doing it on your own without pushing or pulling somebody else. 
during the time that Rick and his father participated in these races, they competed in over 1,000 races. They completed 72 marathons and 257 triathlons. Rick's father said this, there is nothing in the world that the both of us can't conquer together. And I say all that to say that here was a father and the only thing that was in it for him was to please his son. The only thing that was in it for him was to do something that would change the life of his son. And I think by now, I think we're all kind of getting the message that really that's why God has given us children. Not just to make them happy, but God has given us children so that we could help them to reach their potential. So that we could help them to do things that maybe they couldn't do otherwise. So that we could encourage them. So that we could run alongside of them. So we could set an example for them to follow. And can I tell you this? David, he made an impact. Not only on his family. But he made an impact on his nation. So much so that in Matthew chapter 1. You can't read the genealogy without saying Jesus Christ. The son of Abraham. The son of David. You can't read the Christmas story without seeing that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you can't read the Bible without realizing that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the promise that God made to David. That from his seed and from his line, someday there would be a king that would sit on the throne in Jerusalem. But his rule would not just be for 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years. But the Bible tells us that Jesus' rule and reign will be forever and ever and ever. And I'm glad that God can use people like David. I didn't major on his, his failure. I didn't major on his shortcomings. But can I tell you, he had several that we know about. He had several things that we would look at and say, oh, what a disappointment, what a disgrace. But I'm glad that David never lost his heart for God. I'm glad that David uh, never lost the importance of the house of God. He never lost the importance of saying, I want to leave something for generations to come. And what an amazing heritage. I wonder tonight if there's something that we could do to help us get our heart for God back. Maybe you used to have it. Maybe you can remember a day when you used to love spending time with God. You used to love serving God. You used to love telling people about Jesus. But maybe you've lost that. It's time to get it back. Maybe the house of God used to be important to you, but it's not anymore. Hey, this would be a great time, Christmas 2023, to say, I'm going to get back to the house of God. I'm going to make it important again. And then this would be a great night to say, you know, I saw those families up here. I saw the, uh, the, the, the Snyders, and I saw the Morrises, and here they are. They're dedicating their children to the Lord. And maybe you don't have a baby to dedicate to the Lord, but you know what you have? You have yourself. Uh, you have your children and they might be older and grown you may have some grandchildren that you could pray for maybe you want to dedicate your marriage to the lord maybe you want to dedicate your ministry to the lord i don't know what it is but i would say this whatever god spoke to you about i hope that you'll respond tonight thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of victory baptist church in roanoke rapids north carolina led by pastor jeremy Coburnett. for more information about our ministry please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.